0: have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations, a new world order.
1: This crusade,
2: this war on terrorism, uh, is going to take a while. We came, we saw, we died.
1: <laughs>
2: we tortured some folks.
3: Unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate, only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 41 of Dave vs. Goliath. I appreciate you being here. Can't believe we made it, but we did. We're going to get right into it tonight because... We have one of my favorite podcasters out in the game here tonight, so we're not going to waste any time. Um, like I said, this person, to me, is one of the best voices in the movement. Uh, she's a fellow at and Ron Paul Bot. She's red-pilled, and she's brilliant. Um, she has a bachelor's degree from Harvard with a concentration in economics, a law degree from Stanford, and a master's in business administration from Stanford Graduate School of Business. So if you're a libertarian, I feel like those are all very important things when commenting on the things that we comment on. So if you hear some crazy shit tonight, put some weight behind that because it means something. Uh, So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the great Monica Perez. Monica, how are you this evening?
3: I'm great, thank you. And when I had a radio show, I had a segment called The Paul Bot Next Door and I have people call and leave messages and I would play them on the air of like, you didn't realize this guy lives, you know, in Buckhead or this guy's live next to you. Not, you know, don't be afraid to say you are going to vote for Ron Paul. But this was like in 2012. <laughs> yeah. So this was I, an unheard of phenomenon. But it, boy, it just made the scene then.
1: I knew you would take that uh, Paul bot uh, <laughs> statement as a term of endearment. It absolutely is. Um, and I thought that that would be a cool place to start the show because you, like me, um, Ron Paul has left a lasting impression on you so much that it kind of, it's just in the backdrop for me, um, everything. Um, and I know that you don't put a lot of faith in voting and the electoral system, but you still like to get out there and write Ron <laughs> Paul in whenever possible. So um, can you talk just a minute about that, What, why it's not just a cult of personality, why he's not the same as Trump and what, why he has something that lasted with people like you and me?
3: Well, I, I was raised by a guy. My father would have been consider. I consider him a classical liberal, which he would just be like, what the heck? But he was a constitutionalist. He was what I think he would call a traditional conservative. I think he would have been a Barry Goldwater conservative until I, I think Goldwater uh, started promoting war or whatever. You would have lost my dad at war. So he used to support Ron Paul in the 70s. So we were totally poor, had nine kids and lived in New York. And Ron Paul was a congressman in Texas. And he would tell my mother that Ron Paul is our only hope. And what Ron Paul says is just absolutely reflects what my father said and how I was raised. So I mean, I'm used to seeing limited hangouts. I'm used to not believing anything anyone says. And if, but you can, it's like Pope Francis. You can very quickly see he says things that are just wrong. You know, my father used to warn me about the Antichrist. And I'm like, how will you know? And he said, I don't know. And I've come to realize that God can't really hold you accountable for falling for the Antichrist if he didn't give you the tools to recognize Mm -hmm. it. And there is a, a Catholic concept called discernment. So with Ron Paul like there is nothing he says that I can think of. I mean maybe I've had little this like I remember there's a famous quote of him saying like I don't know if I would go for a private police force or whatever. I'm not saying we are absolutely in alignment but his approach is is such a principled approach. It's so coherent and comprehensive and it really touches on our foundational principles which gives it a legitimacy that goes beyond differing ideologies that is our fundamental law that's our foundational law It's what we were born in and what we i guess continue to opt into i you know i get a little sketchy on that because i don't think you should be forced to leave your land it's been invaded people have committed treason against us but we have absolutely a right to defend the constitution and i mean maybe the articles of confederation or maybe you know go back before that but he he has a legitimate position there, and um, so the only because you'll hear eh, eh, no one is free from being attacked, and okay? no one is insulated from that. So people will say, "Oh, did you ever see Ron Paul like throw up like a hand sign or <laughs> I don't know. My son likes heavy metal, and he does this. Like I wonder, like you could just take a screenshot. Is that one of the signs? I think it might be. And then my husband went to UT, so he's like hooker horse. I'm like, you know, I everything is sign, right? Right. So, I don't know what Ron Paul's story is in that regard, but the only thing I could ever even think of that would make him not 100% legit is that, is that it it couldn't, you know, he wasn't successful, (laughs) you know, like somehow they knew big T, they who put him in place would know that he wasn't successful. But I would argue against that and say he won Iowa Mm-hmm. They suppressed that information. It is now the official <laughs> victor in Iowa that year, 2012, which w- should be the person who takes at least the nomination, was Ron Paul. And they cu- they couldn't handle that. They really messed with the vote on his behalf. He seemed to fight it. There were some weird things in his campaign that people said, you know, oh, this guy was hard to work with. And why does he have these people close to him? I don't know about that stuff, but I will say that I firmly believe that Donald Trump was put in place to take the fire that Ron Paul started yeah. and to empty it of any ideological value and focus it on that, on the fire itself. So Ron Paul was mad at people. He would yell at people and he was right to do that. Like he would get into that Christian university where there was a debate and say, what the, we need to get back to the golden rule. And they were booing him. It was like at a Christian place. It's like, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor. And he would get rightly pissed. Like you've seen him get pissed at, at the press for, for, asking the same questions over and over again, he's right. And I really respect that. But Trump just took it and started being mean to people who Mm -hmm. you're, you know, regular Joe Republican hates. And if you ask them what they loved about Trump, it would be because he makes fun of Maxine Waters. And it's like, yeah, but why? What's the point for Operation Warp Speed? Like, so, so whatever I, I stand firmly behind my respect for Ron Paul and, you know, regardless, and and he did do the right thing. He went to the Republic. You know, I, I think he was right in that he said he didn't want to go just to be an independent or a libertarian, that the way to do it was inside the Republican party. That's how you get on the stage. That didn't seem like intentionally screwing things up. I think he was right about that. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I would always register as a Republican so I could vote for him in the primaries And I still always, the the reason I vote is so I can write him in.
1: I think that's beautiful, and uh, I respect that. I got to meet him uh, in 2021. It was, uh, yeah, it was really special. I couldn't believe it. He was, uh, really quick, you know, side note. It was at the Ron Paul Institute conference he does in D.C., and, you know, he hadn't spoken yet, and there was an intermission, and uh, everybody snuck out really quick to get a muffin or a coffee or something, and Anthony Samaroff, Snuck up to me, goes Dave. We've got to go now. And he goes <laughs> say hi to ran up and you know got a couple pictures and said hi. Oh I just God. told him he was my idol and I appreciate everything and didn't waste much more time. But
3: I might have to just go somewhere to make sure that I can say I, I've shaken his hand in my lifetime. I interviewed him once, which was the highlight of pro- probably my professional life. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard it, the,
1: the little clip and I'm going to go back and, and listen to that because I haven't heard that interview. How long yeah, ago was I that? Yeah, I sent- to interview him.
3: I was trying to get somebody to be an interview on my show. It was, like, uh, some famous author. And I sent him that clip of, like, me interviewing Ron Paul because I was so proud of it. And he wrote back and he was just like, I hate you and your tribe. (laughs) I was like, well... If you're going to go down, if you're going to be a martyr for someone, like, (laughs) Ron Paul's a good one. Um,
1: That was going to be my next question. Do you think Donald Trump was sent to take the entire, all the breath out of the revolution and squash that and turn people, you know, into something a little different? And through Cambridge Analytica, they could find out exactly what they needed to do and the right things to push and don't talk about foreign policy. but And if you do, just talk out of the side of your mouth and everything else will be cream cheese
3: hundred percent. That is what I think he's there for. And that's why, that is why, uh, Zucker created him. I think that's why they did the apprentice was to just create yep. that image, to create like an archetype in your mind. Like this guy's a boss. Right. And then when he came out and he was like, they, they criticized him for going bankrupt. And he said, I use the laws that are provided in this country. Cause I'm a good businessman. i like, you know, the problem is that you're actually a terrible businessman. And the problem with your going bankrupt isn't that you utilized bankruptcy, it's that you you felt that that was your best business decision, and then you came in as president and said, oh, I'm going to do this and do that, and smack this one around, and guess what? Like, he literally just complained about some guy, Fauci, who works for him, inspected yeah. him, and like, isn't your slogan, you're fired, like, <laughs> In,
1: man, he is just a pitch man Like I was born in, I'm an 80s kid That, that guy would sell Pizza Hut pizza Or credit cards to you Or, you know, phone wrestling, cards Wrestling Whatever women. Wrestling Yeah, whatever you want women I'll that, sell it
3: The, um Whatever Those, uh Miss America pageants And stuff like Right he, oh, and, and in the end His business wasn't As a real estate mogul It was at a, as a brander He was the Kardashian mm-hmm. So right. Because that That's really all it was And I really thought He was gonna clean up Given that um post office in D.C. That just was a no-lose situation and of all people who could manage to kind of not make it great, he he did not make it great. And it was totally illegal for him to own it. And I know you listen to my show so you know that. I have my repeated... They did teach me that on the radio too to like repeat. Mm-hmm. But I think I got too good at it.
1: He is... um I always wanted Alex Jones to do a Trump deception. He did an Obama deception, the Bush deception. He just should have done one on that guy. And... um yeah, he was the perfect salesman for the, for the jab. He was there to do that and um, kept people out of church on Easter. And, I mean, that's the art of the deal. I it?
3: know. Isn't that crazy? <sighs> Amazing. And that, that was Pope Francis. I mean, ta- I don't even want to call him Pope or Francis. He's totally high. He was a Jesuit, not a Franciscan. So my family was Franciscans. Like my uncle, the priest, who was the original ANCAP I knew, turned me on to oh. Murray Rothbard. He was the one who told me always to vote. He said, you have to register your objection to the liberal fascist center or however I coined that term. But he would say, you know, what I call the welfare warfare super state, just vote for anyone. And once I accidentally right. did vote for, I believe, it was communists, but their name wasn't communist. It was like peace and justice or something. And I was like, I like peace. I yeah. like justice.
1: <laughs> They're great with the w- words. don't mean anything anymore. All natural doesn't mean anything. Yes.
3: The People's I, Party
1: or the working I people's. I just, sure. I
3: couldn't vote for Republican or Democrat. And I had to register my objection, but yes. No, nothing th- What things don't mean what they did for sure not. And makes it hard to communicate.
1: It sure does. Um, speaking of hard to communicate. Um, I have to tell you that Well, it's an anniversary day today It's January 30th, uh, 2020 The WHO declared The global health emergency So we're three years wow. into the global And we have a couple months before Trump hit us With the two weeks to flatten and everything. everything um, But I thought that was really significant And I'll probably tell you This throughout the show, but Your show, specifically uh, The propaganda report that you did With Brad Binkley, I know you've Kind of switched gears a little bit. We'll talk more about that. But that show, during the, the COVID insanity, like especially in the beginning, to me was the most important podcast of the COVID regime. And what you offered five days a week to people for free, Monica, I just, I need to express my gratitude because I know content creators in our space don't get a lot of uh, praise and it certainly doesn't translate into dollars and... You know, I know that that sucks. Sucks being shadow banned. It sucks, you know, <laughs> accumulating all this. And then they... I know. So I just want to say, your show was invaluable. Um, it provided, like I said, levity and, and cleared the air. And you did it um, in a good mood. Like, that, that was... Uh, every day I would be listening. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, she's up at the night. Through the night, looking up the worst stories in the world about the worst things that they're doing to human, humankind. And then comes on later on in the day and goes, hey, everybody, like, you know, <laughs> here's what's going on.
3: <laughs> Look what I found. Look what I found. <laughs> and
1: you really, uh, it meant a lot to me. And I know to a lot of other people, too. So thank you and thank Brad. And um, that that was huge.
3: It was It was a big deal. I agree. I got a lot, a lot of emails during that time saying just that, that people didn't have anyone in real life who... Where everybody was crazy and they thought that whoever was sending me the email was the crazy one. But Brad and I would laugh at the people who couldn't see the nose on their faces. It was so preposterous and that was great. We had developed a good rapport. We had been doing some propaganda report, but we did the drive time news blast, which was an everyday thing because I kind of saw it coming, but we did. I, so I had this show on the radio. Brad was my on air producer and I kind of was worried because it was getting bought and we started just doing, I knew it wasn't never going to get past the weekend. I didn't know for sure I was going to get fired, but I had been being, being groomed for a daily show and it just was clear that was never going to happen. So we just started doing it ourselves and it was great and it was very upbeat. And my mother who is now, she just turned 94. She's a total insomniac and Radiohead. She I think she probably still, if it's still on, listens to Coast to Coast radio at night. And so she she just loved Art Bell and all of that. Remember when he was interviewing (laughs) Malachi Martin? I mean, that was just wonderful. So she's always, and my boss at the radio said, I was like, you know, he was, he loved Art Bell and he felt I could be the next Art Bell. But she would say, don't bother if you're not gonna, if you're gonna be a downer you might as well just not do it at all. And it was really took years to, and he would also say, my boss would say like at the end, you know, give people a piece of chocolate. Like they have Mm -hmm. to digest. And I never really mastered that on the drive time news blast because it was just too fast paced. I do now like I have only do like once a week instead of five or six times a week. The, Deep dives, just uh, one subject, but I always try to have a piece of chocolate at the end. And really, when you're doing that kind of thing, you have to believe it. Like you have to, you actually have to keep digging until you figure out really what makes you get up in the morning, why you haven't given up hope. And so I think it was important to keep an upbeat attitude. And I actually, I had all my, I, I was in LA by that time. And everybody was in my house, like Zooming and stuff. It was not an easy thing to do daily. Like I, I stopped doing it more recently, like last year, but the really difficult time was during that, but there was no way I was cutting off that communication. And it was two way. I would do Zoom calls. I connected with homesteaders, farmers. I took my son who's interested in this to like three or four different people's homesteads because we just, I just wanted him to know there are people out there who live off the land and know which way is up and that he could learn from. And he spent some time staying at one of their houses, their homesteads for a while. And it was just great for all of us. And then when some, you know, my mother's getting old and some other things were encroaching on my time, I wasn't getting, I was not getting those emails anymore. I get emails, you know, plenty, but I was getting emails every day. Like, this is so important. And I really felt it too. And I feel like we got through it together and that's what it was there for. And 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 plus when Trump left office, it was just not as fun.
1: <laughs> I can understand that fully. And I didn't get to Twitter until Trump was already gone. So I understand that.
3: Oh, it's, oh my gosh, there was so <laughs> really like wet yourself laughing at that guy but the but the clues like the whole Ukraine thing when he got impeached right like oh they're setting us up for Democrats to want to support war like this is this is this is coming you know like so there were a lot of clues and how what what he the the stage plays that they were arranging for him
1: yeah, you saw, I mean, I know probably earlier, but I know you were talking about Ukraine in 2017, at least. Like, and 20, Oh, I covered it when
3: the coup 20, happened. When the coup 2014. happened. 2014, right, yeah. Right, right, right. 2013, and, you know, 2014. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, that's amazing. Um, and happy birthday to your mom.
3: Oh, yeah, happy She was so happy. I tweeted her birthday out, and I yeah. think we got like, last I looked, it was something like 600 likes and 100 or eight, something huge comments, and she it's was awesome. just, I couldn't. I couldn't believe her, she was so tickled. She was absolutely beside herself.
1: <laughs> As a listener, I can say, I'll say, it's one of the things that I like about Eminem a lot is like, you know about his family and like my mom and like all these things, and they kind of, artists that are open enough to just, like I know your, your mother's accent, like it, at this totally. point, it's great. <laughs> um, and I feel like, you know, it's just, that's a good thing to connect with people. To just so give a little bit.
3: I'll send you a raw file of this. So now I can't let her see this show because this is a secret. She, she, when I tried to record her, she just talks normally. She was a secretary when she was 19. And so when I'll put a microphone, she's just like, yes, my name is Irene. And I'm like, Ma, you're talking to me. <laughs> she won't do it. So I asked her once. I was like, if I catch you on hidden audio, do you mind if I use that? And she's like, no, it's fine. I mean, it's because if I'm lying, I deserve it. And maybe it'll keep me from lying. She never lies, That's but. Great. So I caught her on audio the other day, and I um, I put it out there. I just on I started a little premium feed on iTunes because actually because I think it gets you pushed up on a search engine. That's the real (laughs) reason if people will sign up. Thank you, I appreciate it. But it's cheap. It's like five bucks to get commercial free and everything. But I put it in there because I only wanted it for the lovers. I didn't want people to like make fun of my mom. But if you want to if you want to evaluate whether I do a good impersonation of her or not, I will send you the little raw file and you can tell me if you think it's, if I, (laughs) I nailed it because she's old now. So like this accent was my impression of her was, was honed decades ago when she still had a little, you know, more, more people to be, You know, get animated at People living in the house My father and all her crazy kids And now she's kind of mellow But I think she's still got it So I'll send that to you
1: Oh, please do And yeah, everybody who's listening out there Go send Monica five bucks a month And then you can hear her mom And you can get premium content too And by the way, I didn't say in the beginning But if um, we're going to do a round of Ask Monica anything tonight So if anybody in the chat has a comment Or, uh, excuse me, a question for Monica Just put her name in bold Monica, and then uh, your question And we'll try and get to that I feel like
3: um, I want to tweet to people to ask me
1: anything. Yeah, some good questions okay. up there. Okay. Um, so you named your the last podcast the Propaganda Report. Yes. Um, which might sound focused, like oh, we just talked about propaganda, but I don't think people understand that it's everything.
3: Who is it all propaganda. It's That's all propaganda. I was trying to. I, I created that name long before we did the Drive Time News Blast, which mm-hmm. that was just. To get you to understand that, like, you don't have to listen to the radio. And the reason I wanted to do that is that I was on the radio and I wanted to find a resource for daily news that didn't have spin. And if it didn't have spin, even if the spin was just, so you should buy gold, like the best ones at right. the end, they always, so they always had to Even Ron Paul's you.
1: trying to sell you gold.
3: Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> trying to sell you gold and I buy gold. I'm, sure. I'm for it. But you had instead of a piece of chocolate, like you have to have a little turd at the end. And I was like, <laughs> I can't have that. I need to. Yeah. So I'm just going to do it myself. And that's why I, I named that. But the propaganda report, I, cause I wanted to talk about the news, but I didn't, I didn't want. It sat wrong with me to suggest that it was news, you know, or events mm-hmm. of the day. I'm like I I have to talk about the headlines because at, when I was on the radio, I had a call-in show and you could not determine the subject. If you wanted people to call you, you had to talk about what they were already thinking about. You just had to. True. And I could once in a while do a show like the Ukraine stuff. But it was a three-hour show and I would have to do three hours worth of, or an hour and a half because it was half commercials, but of monologue material on foreign policy. It was hard to keep people listening and you need the calls to break it up. So I had to, for people to be engaged, I discovered it has to be stuff they're already talking about or thinking about because it's what Rush is putting into their heads. And I, I, I knew I had to focus on that, but I just couldn't give it the credit of calling it anything but what it was, and I was just reporting on the propaganda.
1: Yeah, well, there is no news, right? Only spin. So it's just the person who's delivering it, and you know what, what's behind that. Um, uh, real quick, guys, I know we've talked about it before, and uh, I think it made it into that intro. But there's the uh, the anti-war rally coming up in February that the Libertarian Party is putting on with the People's Party, and there's going to be it's a cross the spectrum coalition. Uh, One of the speakers there is Jimmy Doerr, who, in my opinion, is one of the bestest leftists out there. And uh, I thought I would share this little clip of Jimmy because we have a Murray Rothbard common denominator in there. And he's talking a little bit about propaganda. So I'll get your uh, take on this.
3: Experts say has become the telltale sign of propaganda. Since its rule is exploitive and parasitic, the state must purchase the alliance of a group of court intellectuals whose task is to bamboozle the public into accepting and celebrating the rule of its particular state. This Rothbard wrote that in a 1976 essay, Rothbard, in exchange for their continuing work of apologetics and bamboozlement, the court intellectuals win their place as junior partners in power, prestige and and loot extracted by the state apparatus from the deluded public.
1: Wow. Dead on. Sounds like Rothbard was talking about the earlier incarnations of influencers and all the, the sentinels of the regime through which they pumped their propaganda through uh, down to the local level. What do you, what do you think about that?
3: Obviously, I totally agree, and of course, more. But the thing about the experts say, first of all, is that there's there there are no sources anymore, and this is something Binkley and I talked about for years. And then it was became obvious. This happens a lot. Like we'll be like, hey, I'm like Uber. I bet Uber is a stepping stone to driverless cars. People mm-hmm. are like, driverless cars, come on. And then two years later, they're like, obviously. <laughs> <I'm> like,
1: oh, <laughs> right. I- <laughs> it's the attention span. Yeah. People, yeah.
3: I just It's annoying because if you're too ahead mm-hmm. of it, then you get no credit. But the, so the, I think that they started with, they would have the mainstream media, let's say, no, they, let's say it's CNN, Fox, whatever, would say experts say, or so so-and-so so so source. And I would I, my thought would be, that's true. That statement is true, and they could actually prove it. Like, I actually know who said that, and that person has authority that's relevant. Why wouldn't they go out of their way to give the source there? And I realized then, and now it is obvious, that they wanted to get us not used to that, to get us to stop expecting that hmm. because they were going to – stop going for um they wanted to lower the standard on that so that was his first thing and then the the Rothbard stuff that I think it's really important to remember the updike quote of a man it's it's basically impossible to convince a man I'm paraphrasing of something if his paycheck depends on him not understanding it and that goes also to potential income and i think rothbard himself had an example of the economists association something like that that they so they tried to appeal to the historical whatever the history associate history teachers and history teachers would not change the history of the united states so they mm-hmm. decided they let's say it's the carnegie institute or one of those guys one of the early think tank movers I'm not sure it was exactly them but one of that group Rockefeller I don't know and they and what they realized in that case is that they had to just wait for the history teachers to die and make sure that all the new ones they hired were didn't have that kind of integrity anymore but the economists there were very few of them and it, it was almost like creating a whole industry out of thin air. So with history, there were always historians. You had a problem there. But with The economists, all you'd have to do is find people who are studying economics, say there would be 100 students, one person got a job as a professor, and that was it. You could go to those 100 people and say, hey, this is the e- Economics Association. And if we all support Keynesianism, we'll all have a job forever. Not only will we have a job forever, and this is what I think of Robert Reich, is that, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Robert Reich. He's the worst. Yes, he's the worst. He was the guy where he's there's hidden audio of him, I think, at Berkeley saying, if people were realistic about health care, you would just tell grandma she has to die. And this is the guy, you know, This is these are the same people who say, put on a mask so you don't kill grandma. It's like, but we all know you want to kill grandma, so there has right. to be something else going on there. But I always got, he always seemed to fit the bill on this, which is something maybe I came up with or Rothbard said, it resonated with me, but that they, I feel like these hyper-intellectuals think they deserve a lot of respect. And the way you get respect in this country, if not the world and history, is money and power. And that's how you probably get the sex and what it looks, you know, you got a good looking chick, whatever, maybe that you think that's what gets you the respect, but everybody knows you only have that because you have some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like these intellectuals, I'm a little bit uh, like that. Like I, I would be a less good CEO probably than a professor, right? So I might have a higher IQ than someone who would be great at running a business. And that, that's why I don't have, more money than that guy cuz running a business is what gets you the money and being maybe having good strategy or being unscrupulous gets you power i don't know but i really feel like these intellectuals they think that they should be adored and the more you you make you have to make their their word law because the actual laws of economics would not favor them so they want to change the law itself. And that's, so you mentioned, I went to law school and business school at the same time. And in law school, you learn the case law because that's the law and that's what you have to follow. And it's just, that's how it is. It's it's the, how human relations are structured and you need to be able to know what those laws are to live by them, whether you agree with them or not. On the other hand, they tried to, they would do cases in business school. And I would say, tell Giving me a case on whether or not Coke should expand internationally, you know, go back to the 1920s or whatever. Yeah, I understand why they made those decisions and they were right. But there's no law there. Like that, every single situation changes because Coke it, anybody trying to expand RC Cola trying to expand internationally doesn't work because Coke already did it. So if you're trying to distill immutable principles, yeah, there are some. But you have to be a certain way to make money tomorrow. And, and that guy changes all the time. And I think that's why they build up, you know, regulatory barriers to entry because the guy who made it wants to close the door behind him and keep all that money. It's like, you know what? The way it should work is you get that first round. You get to keep it and you're the rich guy. And like that's why I like Kinsella because I don't want the copyrights or whatever. There's are still mm-hmm. emotive. And other people are like, oh, I have that stuff too. I'm going to build that stuff too. That's great. But I, I really feel like these intellectuals are uh just don't think they get enough status and their 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 vanity makes them prone to supporting things that will give them the power to make laws that will promote them and i and i think that's why they have those court you know the prostitutes or whatever i mean and it and it's not it's not so much the media the media is so obvious but i think it's those intellectuals in the in the institutions that that really they just hold the. It's like they they shape the new the new brains. It's so pathetic.
1: Yeah, and it really is. It's in concert, like with the media and the educational system and the government and the corporations, um, especially now. Um, I I wasn't sure exactly. I mean, I'm just like, man, I could talk the whole episode about the fourth industrial revolution with you. Obviously, it's like the lens through which I see everything else at this point. Right? Is that? Um, and when you were just talking about that. Um, it reminded me that, you know, soon, like with ESG and things coming in, like w- the old like profit model, like w- will that even be – a th- are we heading just out of that? Like you, you won't even – you won't have to sell a good product because it won't matter because the, only the businesses and the corporations that are selling things are in bed with the government totally and fully and they're protected and Main Street's <sighs> being demolished.
3: It's It's so upsetting because – you can just see the things that COVID did, the pan, the lockdown, whatever, the policies. Mm-hmm. So not the, whatever, the bioweapon yeah. did stuff too. I'm with you. But the yep. policies did stuff. And then, of course, the... Uh, the I'm thinking of rebranding the jab to the prick trademark.
1: <laughs> Put that in the merch store right now. Yeah.
3: <laughs> right. I feel like that was genius on my part. Yeah, so I'm yep. trademarking that, but yeah, so all those things have different purposes, but, when I've been looking into, and I I did fall into, I think like six (laughs) rabbit holes deep in a recent series of deep dives I did, which I didn't even ever mean for any to be a series, but I really think I'm on like the seventh one by now because that's where it goes. It's like homelessness, housing, Agenda 21, land use restrictions, um, businesses on the street, taking cars offline, the 15 minute city, all of that stuff. And when I look at covid and now that I just discovered that that part of their plan, I, I mean, I'm not sure if it actually said we will we will put tables in the street to take parking spots offline. I think that what the article said it was about Paris. <clears throat> they had this plan already to take cars off the streets. They know that taking parking spaces off the streets helps. Deter people very painfully from having cars. They said that the COVID did a bunch of things, including getting people to work online, which takes cars off the streets, putting restaurant, putting tables into the street forcing pedestrians off the sidewalks. I think that's what those scooters are for getting them into the street, like all the things they wanted to do. And then they said, and now COVID has made all that happen. And our MO is to take things that we call or Anne Hidalgo, the Mary of Paris, who's just like might as well be the prototype of the uh, implementing the 15 minute cities and all Mm -hmm. that that implies that, that, her MO is to take something make a radical change call it temporary and after people get used to it make it permanent right. like that's her that's her governance style and i'm like that's just disgusting but so when i see that is very clear cuz i wondered at the time i was like did they did they how how well do their models work? Did they know people were going to be walking in the street? Because I remember they said traffic fatalities are up, even though driving is down by like 50%. And I was like, well, that's because people are walking in the street. You know, people don't die in car accidents the way they used to, but they do die when they get hit by a car. And I have not been able to track down that stat. I looked and looked and they were just like the new reporting didn't have details or, you know, how it is. So the other thing that I that is very clear. It was always clear that they were using this to shut down businesses, to make sure that the little guy who did not have staying power would not be able to survive lockdown. And I know plenty of people that happened to, and then the regulations that they put into place after that from, um, you know, requiring people to allow, uh, working from home or the level of sanitation or any of that vaccine requirements. I don't know what, but, By doing that, they very obviously, I think, are trying to get all business into those global corporations. And I feel like it's, you know, it's it's not only it's to I, you know, I'm always I'm always flip back and forth. Is it so they can absorb every last penny of surplus that anybody makes ever and never get anything above $15 an hour minimum wage post massive inflation? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. But they definitely want to make sure. I think it's more important for them to make sure that none of us has any surplus whatsoever, any yeah. surplus whatsoever, because then we could go Ron Paul and they'd have the French Revolution on their hands. The first
1: one. That is what it is all about. I'll tell you what, and I think I've heard you talk about this, but one of my earlier libertarian lessons was waiting tables and bartending. It's like, oh, wait a second. If I'm if I put on a smile and I do better than my peers here, then I'll make more money, okay, this is something that I can get down with like right off the bat, and my dad used to tease me like so you know like I' like Dad, I worked five hours tonight and made three hundred bucks, you know it's like um cash, and he you know he works with his hands and he would just be like, but this shit, no cat, <laughs> but money doesn't grow in trees, I don't know it's you know. but kind of. Kind of. But you know <laughs> what? I, and, and in 2017, I started my own little cafe here. Little, I make waffles and I do fresh squeezed lemonade and organic coffee. And I have my own CBD line here. And um, it was going beautifully until inflation, like literally, you know, like if you own a little eatery, there's the profit, you're, you're riding the line. Right. But they really sucked the life out of my my dream. <laughs> yeah. And um, it really pissed me off. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, because that's what they did. I mean, like you said, Main Street needs to be cleared. I could have been fine, happy, like just working like I was, serving my community right down the street, riding my little electric scooter in the bike lane to my job <laughs> that I have in my little 15-minute town. You know, I could have been yeah. cool with that. Um, yeah. But they made that even impossible. That's uh, the
3: the great reset. Like, every, re, you know, when you think about what's a reset, it's to zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's right. what a reset is, right? But yes. and I think now that you mention it, there were many reasons that it seemed to me that the supply chain issues were set up and you point out one of them which is that they you wouldn't have purchasing power if there was scarcity and you couldn't absorb the cost mm-hmm. if there was if price increases because of scarcity right so you're at a disadvantage and that's the whole thing with these with these Global corporations. And you can tell because conglomerates, I remember from many years of formal education and economics and stuff, conglomerates aren't, or aggregates are not really economically efficient because investors want to be able to analyze the value of their investment, you know, as pure play as you can get. And only when companies like are in the top of a cycle and have all the surplus cash and they want to absorb vertical integration and all that. And one of the things I learned was the target company absorbs all of the synergy from it. So like they buy companies at, at top dollar, like the, the zero economic value of, of what it, why they would want to absorb it. And then the guy who sold it to them had bid the price up. Maybe there's two or three bidders. So, where he takes everything. So, it never really makes sense for the investors, the public, you know, shareholders to have uh, an aggregated company. And usually the company itself can't really cut that great a deal. So, when there's a crash, you used to see companies break up and sell at the different multiples that they should be selling to the investors who are assessing each one and really get the most value, pure play of the stuff that was most valuable and cut the dead weight. Yeah. And I, I, it seems to me now, I have been out of banking for a long time, but it seems to me that doesn't really happen anymore. And not only because they bail stuff out, but I think it's that there are such massive regulatory barriers from the human resources thing to deal with all that kind of stuff, to legal, to compliance, to environment, to sustainability, all of that puts up these. So if you need a fully functioning department like that, all of a sudden your economies of scale as a company isn't just like how big one factory needs to be to make this thing. It's how many, how, how much business has to be under this roof to justify Five regulatory departments that have twenty people each. I mean, that should be a very small part of your workforce. So then, all of a sudden, you're like, I have to buy up every single drill maker in the world to have this make sense. And I think they, of course, the globalist corporation, like one person who's I think on the board of World Economic Forum, or whatever, is Black and Decker. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's you know, Black and Decker shouldn't be the one supplier of drills to the whole world, but they will do what they if they have no conscience or no, if you, if you go so that's what like libertarianism and pure capitalism and stuff, you absolutely always, always have to recognize that there's a, a standard of ethics that you have to live up to and your laws should reflect that. But I, I feel like it's just, uh, because they don't really have, ethics, and there's no way to exercise ethics in big business like that, I think, at this at that level, because you have to make deals with gov- governments, which in my mind is just inherently unethical. Right. So I just, I can't see any way around them just being only voracious monsters reach the top <laughs> of those companies. Yeah. And yeah, they're destroying, and, and it makes me sad because I love prosperity and business. I went to Whole Foods yesterday, and half of the like meat cases were empty right. and like they are doing that to us and it's just it's a bummer i mean a,
1: a controlled a demolition of yes, the, that's of the western Brother world
3: Robinson, yeah
1: right and and i think I, you've mentioned this that it's much easier from a managerial perspective to lower everybody everybody's status rather than bringing up people which is i'm sure that's what they're saying could bring everybody up but it's yeah. that's a, that's the true equality right bring bring people down
3: if you look at one of these things that's behind an organization that's behind the 15-minute city, it's called dgrowth, Degrowth.org. You can look it up. And, and one of their fundamental tenets, I think the number one tenet, is to drastically reduce consumption. And, I, you know, I, I, it just annoys me because they centralize everything. When I, people say sustainability, I'm like, you know what's sustainable? Stop having wars for oil. Right. Stop subsidizing infrastructure. Stop depressing interest rates. If you stop doing that, stop uh, subsidizing real estate development from the tax code to the um, you know other kind of subsidies. You're just creating a much faster growth scenario than you would ever need and and it would be sustainable if they hadn't gotten interfered with in the first interfered with the whole thing in the first place and now under the guise of oh this is too much too far too fast someone needs to control it it's too complex not true they're making it complex so they have an excuse to control it
1: right they'll they'll call it unchecked capitalism and it needs something <laughs> right
3: but it's not; it's fascism, which sure, I think exactly. we were talking about the other day. It's like it's just absolutely the World Economic Forum's mission statement. I covered their like 50th anniversary back in the day, 1971. So it was just two years ago, probably to the day. Actually, they uh, it's it's a fa- fascist manifesto. Like we need to combine governments and business, and yeah. uh,
1: you know, <laughs> and it's all it's just so funny to watch. You know, and I know you if they present something to you you always look with it look at a second and a third look right um when i look at the world economic forum and i look at klaus schwab i'm like wait a second like this is just I know what you're thinking too. This is over the top. You're giving us this thing that we can all look at. Right. This is, this is not the Bilderberg of my, my twenties. You know, when we were telling people, Hey, these guys are meeting in the woods, like secretly people were like, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. And then Alex Jones and Jason Burmess and all these guys started going there in the woods. And then they still were like, Nope, nobody's there. And then like once that, like they couldn't hold that on, then all of a sudden here comes this like, they're wearing their imperialism on their sleeve. Like, check out what we're up to, and everybody can come visit. The press is invited. Um, it's <laughs> it's really odd. Um, but it seems kind of cartoonish. What do you think what do you think about that?
3: Talking about cartoonish, did you see Kirsten Cinema's outfit? She's a she's the senior citizen from Arizona. She's a senator from Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. Have you heard her name Cinema? Yes. She she's had some, whatever. She's had some notoriety here and there. But she she was a swing vote i think she changed to be like an independent or something there's a picture of her at davos in what appears to be leather platform high tops in white and a big puffy i'm sure faux environmentally faux puffy white fur vests, which just made me think of Corella Deville. Yeah. I just I'm looking and she's just like whatever with her dumb glasses and I just thought first of all, she looked like a rookie to me. Because I I know a Swiss guy, I know a German guy, not who go to that thing, but who I met through banking and the American chick who shows up dressed like that, I mean, is either bought and paid for or just, I don't know, like I, you would yeah. not cool. Well, we had uh, uh, Delaware
1: Senator Chris Coons. He he went over to uh, represent the people of Delaware at Davos. I imagine he was <laughs> rubbing elbows with BlackRock and Pfizer and Google and looking out for, for, for the good people of the first state. Yeah, <laughs> what, what can I bring back to the good people of Delaware and let them know that you're all working on their behalf?
3: <laughs> exactly. So she was there, and I just thought that, and they it was then. It was so obvious to me that. That the, those people, that tier, they really, when you really look at when they get together in Europe, like a lot of times there's like literally gilding on the ceiling and stuff. They're gilding. And because I did have these um, friends who I don't see much now that I'm on the West Coast, but I you know, used to see them every once in a while when I lived in New York. And uh, I know they'd be eating caviar. Like that's not... Oh, yeah. They're not... They're, they're not eating it, the bugs. Yeah, yeah. they're not up there, right? They're not up there like, well, we didn't put the gold on there. You know, Louis XIV did. And what... I mean, it would be wrong to pull it down. You know, and it's not like they're sitting there getting McDonald's in this, you know, gutted castle. Hmm. And and I just think, wow, like for Kirsten Cinema, I don't know her. Maybe she's the greatest person on earth. Maybe I'm all wrong about her. Goes to church every Sunday. But she... I'm thinking she's getting off on it. She's dressing like she's getting off on it. Yeah. That kind of pisses me off because it's my effing money mm-hmm. and it's my authority that they use to enslave us. And yeah. that just, I mean, they think, when you read that World Economic Forum stuff, they talk like we are their pets. And mm-hmm. I, it just infuriates me. And, and it just that we have no competence to... Uh, exercise our own agency. I just
1: I hate it. Who's the number 2 guy? Yuri uh Yura, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but I think he's going to be the guy that takes over for Klaus Schwab. Oh,
3: okay. He's
1: the, he's the ball guy's been on he's done some major
3: I didn't interviews watch and things. It this year. I only looked, watched last year and I thought it was a French guy, but Yeah, I think uh, he's
1: too. Um but he yeah, he says the, yeah. In the, it's going to be bodies and minds. That's what we're working with in the in the fourth it, industrial revolution. I and,
3: don't no more products
1: people made shoes uh, in the 20th century they made weapons and shoes <laughs> we will make bodies and minds
3: i remember bill clinton made a said something when nafta was coming in and i've never been able to get the quote but i remember it he said our goal is to transition the united states to a pure service economy and that's why we need mm. nafta
1: service based economy you remember the zeitgeist <laughs> the, movie the documentary
3: yes that, and that's what they that. were
1: talking about they and they did a nice bait and switch in there they talk about 9-11 the inside job they talk about the federal reserve and then they're like here's the answer resource-based economy everybody um hmm. but that guy i think was written off as a fraud um but the world economic forum wouldn't it be nice if we had an antidote or an answer or the antithesis antithesis to the economic forum check this out we want to
0: encourage everyone to take as much responsibility as possible at the most local level possible, right? So take responsibility for yourself until you're good enough at that so you can take responsibility maybe for a wife. And then if you're good enough at that, maybe you can extend that to some kids. And then maybe you can serve your local community. And then maybe you can serve your state. And maybe if you really get good at it, you could serve your nation, right? But you're taking the responsibility. And here's the basic rule all the responsibility you abdicate will be taken up by tyrants. That's the, that's the cardinal rule of social organization. And so we're trying to build out this story that's based on the deepest elements of Western tradition that's an, an antidote to the, well, to the, to the false claim that it's only power that rules. Because it's not, that's not right. And there is a model of of proper governance in there, this idea of a hierarchical structure of responsibility. It's the proper computational structure. It's not top-down tyranny with fractionated individuals. And it's not utter chaos. It's ordered freedom. And that's what God tells Moses to tell the Pharaoh when he says, let my people go. Let my people go, no tyranny, so that they may celebrate me in the desert. It's ordered freedom. And it's the ordered freedom that comes along with being oriented towards the highest possible good.
1: Mm. Jordan Peterson, bring me back to minarchy. I don't know. What do you think about that? He just a little context. He went on Joe Rogan a few days ago and he outlined his plan. He has started a consortium, as he calls it, based out of London, that will be the answer to the World Economic Forum. Uh, They'll focus on a pro-human environmental policy. So he's all about saving the earth, but not... If it means human suffering, uh, they take an anti-fascist stance. They everybody involved seems to be against the meddling of the media and the corporations and the government. eh? so we're going to get rid of that. Eh? Um and they want to put policies in place that are pro-family and child-centered and focus on long-term monogamy. How do you? How do you? I know you. are I've seen you uh, or listened to some of your episodes. You talk talk about Jordan Peterson and his uh, his books and. He's a great guy. In fact, my, my dude, Michael Heiss said that Jordan Peterson and his movement is the greatest movement and maybe even more important than the Ron Paul revolution because it's the, it's the responsibility side to freedom. So I thought I would give that to you and see what you think about that. What do you, what do you think?
3: The responsibility side of freedom. Yes. Wow. Well, that was good timing because I I was just saying that, uh, one minute ago right here right? Like, uh, good. Excellent. Um, so I do think about, I think I'm going to take this backwards. I do, I have been start trying to start thinking about how to address that problem, how to address the fact that people really need to understand that There's an onus on us to act responsibly, to act ethically, that's as vital as our freedom. Like our responsibility is as vital as our freedom. I don't, I can't say I suggest that responsibility be enforced Mm -hmm. by power, but even when I was reading, some stuff about, I think we misunderstood the separation of church and state thing. Like we, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to separate church and state. If you, this, I guess it's called a confessional state. Maybe it was like Franco or whatever, but if you read about like the Catholic old school idea of church and state, the relationship between church and state, it's not that the state would enforce moral law. It's that it would be informed by moral law and it would also not allow proselytizing of a different faith. So you wouldn't have to practice, but and you wouldn't be persecuted, but you wouldn't be allowed to like spread the word. Like in Brazil, they have like spiritism, which you know took over, took a large chunk and there's evangelism and stuff. They wouldn't allow that in a confessional state, hmm. for better or worse. But the idea that that you have to have a moral framework for civil law. I, you know, I, it's very hard for me to even get my mind around that because of my long history of libertarianism, but I'm yeah. open to thinking about it. But I certainly support the idea that you absolutely must have it outside. It, it, it's not even without force, you have to have it. So, what Jordan Peterson is saying, and I think Ron Paul would say the same thing, Ron Paul's very moral, like, he will refer you know, just war and abortion, stuff like that. He refers to his moral foundation, which is critical and common sense. Like they like to say, I would say it is, I think what Peterson was saying there, I really liked, which was about, uh, first he starts out with what I would call subsidiarity. So the, the responsible party needs to be at the lowest level of competence so a baby has no competence, but the mom has a lot of competence. And then the dad, if she's a stay-at-home mom and the dad's out in the world, maybe he has more competence in dealing with the gas company or something. I don't know. But he doesn't have to like, maybe he wants an HOA, but maybe he doesn't need that. And then you just go up to, you can do it in the church where you, the, you do it with the, in the family, then you do it in the parish and you can go all the way up. But really that is, I think we have checks and balances uh, across like the judiciary and the executive and the legislative, but we also have checks and balances in the subsidiarity thing where federal, state, local, like the power structure should be at the lowest possible point. But Mm -hmm. what I found interesting about what Peterson said there, which I had never heard before was that it's not a top down Centralized oppression, it starts with the abdication of that responsibility. And that's really interesting. It's a powerful insight. And I love his, like most people who study religions like he does, are there because they either are hooked or because they hate religion. And the majority of people at Harvard Divinity School, maybe not Divinity School, people who are like religion, comparative religion majors. I feel like a lot of times they're there to debunk all religion. So he's interesting in that way, but I he really let people down. I, I go a friend of my po- podcasting pal, the Mad Vixen. I call her from mm-hmm. Voluntary Vixens. She loves. The 12 rules. I didn't even know them, but she asked me to do something with her where we talk about the one chapter by chapter. And yep. it's been great. Uh, it's It reminds me of a, a book called Boundaries, which is really important for, I think, Christian parents or Catholic parents. I don't know what. It's not Catholic, but just because it's, it's so easy to confuse being nice with being good to want to be liked, to like do things that you think appear to be nice to your kids or other people. When really sometimes saying no, which makes you a bitch is the morally correct thing to do. It takes a lot of courage. And he wrote that in the last chapter I read of his, it was rule nine or eight. Like sometimes no has to be said and you have to have the presence of mind and the courage and the experience in saying it to say it. And I did, just Google real quick. I think, what did he say about the Vax? I mean, he's like, just get the damn Vax ready. Yeah. Right. Like you lose a lot of credibility there and his disappearance to Russia to get off of Xanax. That was a little, you know, that, that timing was pretty crazy because we could have used a little, a little resistance to the lockdowns back then. So I would love to follow him hook, line and sink, sinker. I would love to like move to London or wherever he's doing this right. and, support him. But I feel like at this stage, I feel like absolutely anything that really gets off the ground is not, is not a real threat. Agreed. So Ron Paul, you agree? Yeah. Cause yes. Ron Paul, probably when he became a real threat, he had to be taken out. and He was.
1: And that's a good point. I mean, you know, Kanye was taken off the streets for like two days and given whatever, you know, By his trainer or whoever else, but Jordan Peterson was gone for a while and the Benzo bottles were downed and, you know, a lot was going on there. And yeah, now he's signed to Daily Wire. I'm not going to take away any of his, um, you know, his contributions because they're amazing and he's great. But uh, yeah, that is a little concerning.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I don't. I would put it this in a different category. There are people, everybody has their foibles and their weaknesses. So I look at Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm sure people on, you know, have put their lives under a microscope and found things to criticize, but it doesn't take away at all the power of their message. I mean, even, even I might say plagiarism. Like people say MLK maybe lifted some stuff or maybe his wife or stuff or Thomas Jefferson. I don't know, you know, but I doubt Thomas Jefferson plagiarized. But, um, I'm just saying it, I don't even mind that. Like, I I feel like that doesn't mean that they aren't, that what they did wasn't really, really powerful. But if what they're doing is trying to corral people into a silo. And I, and I get worried when you, you combine too many things, like if it's monogamy and I, I personally do think that the rules, like the Catholic rules uh, for the most part, I always say this, like principle and pragmatism are exactly the same on a long enough timeline. So why do we have monogamy? Well, there are a lot of reasons I could tell you to not, you know, mixed up around everywhere you go yeah. you know, without Absolutely. bringing God into it. But I, I do, I feel like it becomes very exclusionary when you do that. So I liked, and you're in, I guess, Dan's fantastic montage in the beginning, Dave Smith saying like, these are the things we can all agree on. Let's just stop there. Yeah. I, I feel like that's where we need to be. Like Ron Paul, to me, was the right approach, and I, I worry that because you know, when you live in the Bible Belt, it can. And I, my kids went to a school that my mom, who prays four hours a day, like she does the rosary every day, she has her little books. Like I mean, it's kooky, where <laughs> I should say it's it seems excessive. <laughs> she so she was like, oh, that's, it's kind of like a cult there at the school. Right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I would call it a cult. Like my, I wasn't in the cult or whatever. (laughs) And she's like, you know, they whatever, still wear the veils and everything. But, um, when I feel like in the Bible about this happens to me too, if everybody's speaking the same language, everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Like it's Jesus saves. And, um, I I've been saved. How about you? And, like quoting Bible verses just with the numbers and not actually saying the words, you are preaching to the choir. And I feel like the biggest weapon these, the world economic forum, let's call it, or that whole cabal uses against us. The number one weapon, in my opinion is the siloing Mm -hmm. is just the not crossover. Any idea, any piece of information is allowed, but just not in not, it's not allowed to have fluidity. And I, and that's what I worry about with some of this stuff. Yeah,
1: That's why the revolution has to be decentralized, all of it, right? Just individual nodes. Um, So I was just going to say, I think that Jordan Peterson, as amazing as he is, if he has a flaw, it's that he has a lot of faith in institutions. Um, Educational system, I think he has a lot of faith in, he had faith in the medical institutions when he got that jab and the second one. And then only after Goes, you know what? I wanted to travel, and they told me I could. It's like, well, other people knew that you weren't going to be able to travel, man. You know, and you, you get to kind of hobnob with some really smart people. I'm, I'm really kind of surprised at that. But only a man, I think, that would have, well, they told me this thing forthrightly. This must be what it's going to do, and and he, maybe he got suckered. Um, but I hope he doesn't get suckered anymore. <laughs> <would>
3: yeah, be- <laughs> and he says stuff in there that <clears throat> I really want to be open to. So one reason. I stopped doing the, the drive time news blast, the daily show is that I really didn't have time to think deeply about things. And I felt like there has to be a code there, there I had, I could I have to get closer to cracking the code on the real answer. And I feel like, a priest who listens to me sent me a book called like the church and libertarianism. And it was the first thing it said, it's like, I don't believe in public transportation. I don't believe in welfare. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But, um, he had just massive objections to libertarianism because it took out, it took away the, the idea that governance was essential, that, it, it has to be an absolutely ingrained part of your culture as if laws were not strictly about force and that like a man has to have a just wage. And, and no, you cannot steal it to build a bus system that will allow corporations to pay him less than a just wage right. because you're paying for his transportation, which is part of a just wage. That you should have to get there. You should be able to procreate. You know, like that's. These are the adjust wage isn't just will give you whatever exactly as many calories as you need to do this job. And uh, I, I I have to be open to that because, so in cracking the code, I sometimes want to look back and say, you know, my total rejection of the state may be in part a consequence of the total corruption of the state. That happened before I got there. So when mm-hmm. when I realized, I hope you don't mind my saying, that 9-11 was an inside job. <laughs> uh, when I realized that, <clears throat> what I realized was everything I had been saying about the inevitable place where this state that has a total conflict of interest with us because it sells us security, and if it gives it to us, we will stop buying it. <laughs> they have to keep us scared. Yeah. That... It was already there. I was saying, this is what has to end up happening. And then I was looking over my shoulder, like 10 years after the fact, mind you. I did not know until the Boston Marathon bombing that 9 11 was an inside job. And then I think that was your
1: red pill moment. That's interesting. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah.
3: And it was, it was, I, I, I was, it was my aha moment. And then same thing with COVID. I'd been saying the whole time, like, you have to, it's coming. Right, Right. it's coming. Like the the totalitarian technocracy is coming. But what I didn't realize, I was still thinking about fighting it at City Hall, you know, or protesting Obamacare or whatever. I didn't realize that what I needed was a chicken. Like I love that's where I should have been. And that's what he's saying about abdicating.
1: I love this part of your story arc, that because you spend so much time thinking and like I do like a lot of us do like hey man how can i make the world better what about and all of a sudden when covid happens you're like holy shit like i have been i have not prepared myself right. in my apartment or whatever yes. like in my city that has has a food desert where you can only get pizza and burgers and corporations there's I nothing know, there's right. nothing around here and um yeah i know you live in, in california so <laughs> that's got to be a hellscape at this point i mean <laughs> it's and, messed up we're going to actually probably play a clip or two of Gavin Newsom only because I think that this guy is a perfect example of not only what demons do with doublespeak, like the exact opposite, um, but he's, uh, he's also a willing stooge on behalf of the World Economic Forum. And to me not to get not to talk politics, but he's probably a frontrunner for 2024 this guy, to me, represents everything the Democratic Party actually is, which is a soulless corporatist, say anything, legally speaking, asshole. Like that's...
3: Is he going to come out of the closet because how can a white guy...
1: (laughs) Well, see, that's the thing. I think that's why he's so hardline on all of their messaging because he's like, he's like, I'm not like those other white guys. Like that's, (laughs) you know, um, I just happen. we're going to play this one and then we might do a, like, we'll analyze one for the body language here, but check this out.
2: Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold your hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. If you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, We all need to self-medicate periodically.
1: (laughs) So, okay, I get it, bro. We all do kind of need to self-medicate. I like to smoke weed. My girl and I are going to smoke a bowl when the show's over, but... To be a leader of the you know, the fifth, fifth largest economy in the world, I think California is, or something close to that, and just come out and go, hey, God. it's like a very do what thou wilt kind of attitude. Totally, You know, just like, hey, man, just relax. Like,
3: <laughs> it's just, it's wow. bizarre. that um, was crazy.
1: Right? I mean, he's... Uh, people
3: have a problem with that. People who are clean and sober, like, it's a cause for celebration. I mean, that's, it keeps you from ruining your life. And it, they want you to ruin your life that way. Make no mistake. They right. want you offline mentally tune out what is it tune out drop out exactly
1: and and he's saying this while you know like prosecuting the drug war too it's not like he's trying to make people you know enlighten them or and i'm sure whatever you can buy legal weed there but yeah that's just um it's it's super bizarre so i have a another clip from gavin newsom because this one the double speak is off the charts and this one we're gonna watch together and if you want to comment it comment on it while it's playing, because there's just so many little gems in here. Please feel free. Here we go.
2: The nation, anxiety about social change has awakened long dormant authoritarian impulses. Calling the question, calling the question what America is to become. Freer anxiety about social change has awakened long dormant authoritarian impulses. Calling the question, calling the question what America is to become, freer and fairer or reverting to a darker past. Instead of finding solutions. Instead of finding solutions.
1: I hate the what body language.
2: douchebag. Uh, it's just oh like he's- Oh my gosh,
3: I can't stand it. Ew, it's it makes the me worst, want to right? take a shower. Ugh.
1: I know, I feel dirty yeah. watching this guy. I'm
3: Ugh. so <laughs> 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 It's
1: really gross. And people are buying it, apparently.
2: These politicians, devoid of any new ideas pursuing power at any cost, are playing on our fears, our prejudices, and our paranoias.
1: Oh my God. De- Gavin Newsom is very upset about the politicians <laughs> playing on our fears and our on our hysteria. I'm
3: still stuck on freer and fairer.
1: Oh, you're in California, the freest state in, in the nation. Yeah, He's
3: in favor of free and fair because it's not... <laughs>
1: this guy. Wow.
3: Um, so, yeah, and he's... he's it looks to me like he's rehearsing. This looks like a screen test. Yes. He's
1: absolutely <laughs> well rehearsed. In fact, I think he's got a line coming up where you could tell he flubs it a little bit and he goes right on. Like, it's it's very well rehearsed. Here we go.
2: The struggle, the struggle to be who we ought to be as a nation is difficult, yes, and deny it, demanding.
1: There it is. You could tell. Not, uh, yeah, no, that's not the word.
3: What is, where is this?
1: Uh, I think this is in California. Could no, be but right.
3: I mean, is this like an actual speech? Because it actually looks like a screen test.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I grabbed this off Twitter. I no, I'm sure,
3: up- I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but I'm just you saying, be like, it. <laughs> even whatever, I'm just, like, my impression is that whatever this occasion was, it's for him to practice giving yes. speeches.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> he's looking very presidential.
3: He's memorizing it. They taught him the gestures to make, obviously. Mm-hmm. Just really, it feels like this was, like, like an earlier take that they accidentally released instead of the final cut. Yeah.
1: He's got his Patrick Bateman power suit on, right <laughs> Oh
3: my gosh, and it looks so fake, doesn't it?
1: Yes, <clears throat> very packaged, just slick, you know, it's-
3: And even the background though, like it does, it, I guess it's a real place, I'm sure, it's probably like the capital of the state I live in, but <laughs> <Right>. whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Here we go.
2: We should be clear-eyed, crystal clear about their aims. They're promoting grievance and victimhood in an attempt to erase so much of the progress you and I have witnessed in our lifetimes.
1: So there it is. I mean, right. There the are people, the, the the racists and the, the uh, America firsters are coming to stop all the great progress that we've made over the past, whatever 50 or hundred years of the progressive era.
3: But this makes me absolutely insane because like I said, the government has a conflict of interest with us. It sells a security on the, let's say on the right and on the left, it, it's, it's like physical security on the right, but it's fiscal security on the left and all the gender stuff and um identity stuff and here he's saying that the other is erasing that when in fact the great reset and covid policy reset anybody mm-hmm. who was not in that top 1% or whatever to zero, like people were reset to zero. I have a friend who is prosperous, prosperous. he lost absolutely everything and then got one of those really crazy super fast cancers and died. And I'm like, okay, they it reset his entire family to less than zero, probably and uh and that's and I predicted that like two weeks in, I said, this is the most regressive stuff because I see what people are doing. People who have Costco cards are buying everything out and they're putting it in their spare bedroom, buying their kids, you know, their kids all have computers and each have their own rooms. And what are you going to do if you're a family who literally lives in a one bedroom apartment, which I know people like that. So who, where are they going to, how are they going to have the money to stockpile? Where are they going to put it? Where, where is everybody going to learn? Mom has to stop working. It's just him and his kind. He specifically, that person there did that to my, what is now my state. To all the people I know who are affected by COVID, that per actual person right there is the one who did it.
1: Yes, it is. You should absolutely hate Gavin Newsom.
3: <laughs> he's for he's sure. bad. My, my mother says, uh, she, we, she's like, that Donald Trump left his wife for the Guilfoyle one. I was like, who's the Guilfoyle She's the one who was married to that gay mayor of San Francisco. And I'm like, gay mayor of San Francisco? And uh, it's like, Harvey Milk? And she's like, I... No, he's the governor. <laughs> like oh. Kevin oh, okay. So I guess he was, I don't even know this stuff. I'm not, I really, I really don't follow politics. <laughs> good. Basically. It's
1: good. You shouldn't.
3: Yeah. So she tells me about this guy, but, uh, oh yeah, he I is such a slime that. ball. And he's the one who's some kind of relative of nancy pelosi and oh man just, I, I had
1: a nancy pelosi clip for today too if we have time we'll get to it sure yeah and we got i know we got uh limited time left but um
3: yeah i have a little it, wiggle room but i have to actually i, be, I won't be somewhere physically so got you
1: thank you um let's we'll see what the rest of this demon has to say
3: they make it harder
2: they make it harder to vote and easier to buy illegal guns They silence speech, fire teachers, kidnap migrants, subjugate women, attack the Special Olympics, and even demonize Mickey Mouse.
1: Ooh, the list goes on and on. These people want to take from you. They're going to take your Mickey Mouse.
2: All camouflaged under the hijacking of the word freedom. Ooh. But what they really want, what they really want,
1: you know this, is
2: more control, intrusive government, command over your most...
1: Gavin Newsom is warning us of intrusive government. I just think that that's...
3: And he's warning us I, I, against the word free.
1: I, freedom, yeah, be, be aware of people it, using the word freedom. because It's that's only
3: not sex. The only thing they ever have... I guess. See, that's the problem with the Jordan Peterson thing. He's walking right into that trap. Mm-hmm. But what he'll say, it's just sex. Yeah. Oh, he's scummy.
2: Decisions, when to have a family, how to raise your kids, how to love. And while they cry freedom, they dictate the choices. They dictate the choices people are allowed to make, banning the flames of these exhaustive culture wars, mm. banning abortion, banning books, banning free speech in the classroom and in the boardroom. They sell Mandating fear. Mandating facts. They sell fear and panic when it comes to crime and immigration, but they sell calm and indifference when the threat is greenhouse gases destroying our planet.
1: Mm. You should not worry about the riots in the streets. You should be concerned with carbon dioxide, everybody, and anybody who so tells you funny. differently.
3: Because the stuff that he tells us to be terrified of, like trillions of invisible monsters who are trying to kill us all that are everywhere that you can't right. see. They're, they're trying to kill us all. And all these gases that you can't see, that you're not sure where they come from, you can't see it. Mm-mm. What he's talking about cannot be verified. <laughs> and they're just priests of the electron <laughs> microscope Telling you, you cannot speak this language, but actual real things. That's that whole complexity myth.
1: Yeah. Trust me, everybody.
3: Or
2: big oil raking in record windfall profits at your expense.
1: There it is. Excuse me. Hold for applause, right?
3: (laughs) Here's the thing about the oil, the record oil. So when... Gasoline was seven dollars a gallon here, at one point in 2022. Mm. Seven dollars a gallon, like that was the cheapest you could get. And I think at that time, I went and visited my mom in New York. Like not to mention if I visited anybody in Texas. And I think it was like five dollars in New York. Is that because the oil companies are ripping us off? It's they're much 100-
1: greedier there. Yeah,
3: it's one hundred percent. The regulations and the taxes, even in my actual little town, a sub like it's L.A. County and then my town has additional taxes and regulations. So in my town, I can't get it for I mean, I think the place right on the corner was eight dollars. There was a Chevron on the corner. I mean, I would never go there, but like an eight dollars. Oh, right. oh, my God. But that wasn't them. That wasn't the oil companies and the oil companies. The reason I actually did a deep dive on this is that the refineries, there were something like, I don't know, 400 refineries in the 80s, and it's down to 100 and like 27 because they're going offline because of these regulations. They're not worth revamping. And then normally they were just slowly taking them offline and trying to replace them with other stuff. But with COVID, with lockdowns, they, for whatever reason, they they start just because I guess they didn't need the production. And it was cheaper to keep them off, so they shut them all down, or a vast majority of them, and just decided that was the time—the two years they had was the time to retool them. But that's a very long process. So the reason we had that gas spike, if I, in my opinion, was largely because it was this rebound travel season from being locked down, so it was a bigger season than it ever than it had been at the same time that there were less gasoline supplies it had nothing to do with ukraine by the mm-hmm. way or greedy <laughs> greedy greedy corporations if you don't have regulations you can have competition that's what yeah. i was saying before about the conglomerates if you don't have the regulations the regulatory barriers entry anybody can be competed with up to the point of one factory you know one drilling platform one refinery that's it. You don't need any, You. It, 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 there are no economies of scale when the exact same thing gets reproduced in another region. And okay. actually it would probably be regional if they didn't subsidize the interstate highways. Anyway, we could go out on that. Stuff. I, know, I don't want to get you uh, off on a tangent. No, you know I do what? have a few minutes, but not too much.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll wind it down. Um. In fact, I just have a couple like rapid-fire things that I thought I might throw at you. And if anybody uh, in the comments has any questions for Monica, now is the time because we've got, you know, just a couple minutes to go. Um, so I'm just going to name a couple people. And you can tell me if it's a created person, trademark Monica Perez, or if it's an influencer or a limited hangout or controlled opposition or a real Batman or a real Maverick. You can tell me your opinion. Um, I know Stacey Abrams, Lady Gaga, or these are created people. yes. Um, I think that's really interesting. You guys need to go check out Monica talking about how they find these people in high school, pluck them out, put them in their little. I think James
3: Comey was a high school.
1: That's amazing. You find the sociopaths early on. I heard that episode. I know it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan.
3: Oh, um, I missed one of my one of my uh, choices that you were giving me. Creative person, limited hangout, Batman, Uh,
1: controlled opposition, or Maverick, or just an influencer.
3: Controlled opposition or Maverick um, or influencer. Okay, so I would say that Joe is at this point unwitting controlled opposition, and the comparison I'm going to make is really unintentional and we might have to like not say it out loud, but there was a guy in Germany in the thirties. There's a lot of people in Germany who are like rabble rousing. And from a book I read by Guido Preparata called Conjuring Hitler, it says that the British kind of banking system, which was overarching Europe too, they were looking for somebody to undermine Germany after World War One, and they they wanted someone whose philosophy would be uh, consistent with keeping the hierarchy in place, but bringing out the worst in the population. Wow! And they didn't create Hitler, but they just found him among the people. And now Alex Jones, I don't, I don't. He's definitely
1: he was on my not
3: list not one hundred percent on on the level. But with Joe, I think there were a lot of. You know, a lot of people could have been chosen for that role who were making it on their own, and I think all they really did was they put him on Spotify and they said, "You know, we just—you just have to let us curate a little bit."
1: Right. Don't talk about about the the moon stuff so much, or maybe some some, of
3: the. Had to actually change his story on the moon. Yeah,
1: and some even comedians that he won't mention—they're like Shadow Band for Life. He won't like mention these guys. Uh, well, well, let's see, I,
3: think, I know I think he's probably thinks it's not that big a deal,
1: yeah, like he'll yeah, it's just yeah, i I think I, I mean
3: agree I, with you that. know he does a lot of good, but here's the thing if he if he didn't do it, they would get somebody else to do it, and i'm i'm not I'm not suggesting that he should right. do it, I'm just saying in his mind, they're giving him a lot of money, he's mostly doing good in his mind, which is probably true anyway, and then, uh why bother falling on your sword because there there will be another guy right behind yep. him
1: um I know you've said Edward Snowden is a Could controlled up op- creative person
3: he's just an actor an actor, straight opinion. up actor this was is one of the
1: things that actor. again that one i I listened to a lot when I heard you say that I was like oh shit and again I when you say something, I'm not saying it's absolute fact, but I take it it's like some <laughs>
3: Well you gotta think about it. like I always look like that's the absolute possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just telling you look twice. So Joe him on Joe Rogan was the convincer for most people. Yes. And uh, I got it within two weeks of him coming out, which I will credit American everyman, who is now nomadic everyman because he got deplatformed for being really like he got it like the first day. Some people were like that, were awake already. I get it.
1: Uh James O'Keefe.
3: Well, I would not say he's 100% on the level, but Ooh. I'm not sure I really understand I want
1: him to be on the level. Yeah,
3: no, he may be sincere. I'm not saying that. I guess let mm-hmm. me let me say what I I think is that the Republican, I don't really understand the whole like Steve Bannon Republican like the CNR, CRN, like the, the there's a CFR and then there's like the Republican one that's secret and they it's like they have their own machine and i feel like he might kind of kind of click in with that whole thing and like breitbart and stuff i just i don't understand if it's a real opposition but it's political so i don't like it yeah or if it's actually controlled by the other side I it kind of good. am thinking it doesn't. It isn't actually controlled by the other side. I feel like it's independent. It just has to be number two, and I don't. You know, they're not libertarians, so it's hard for me to no. say. And I, I think yeah. he probably, you know, probably manipulates stuff or pulls punches. You know.
1: Okay. Um, and now, re- super rapid fire. I'm just going to name a conspiracy theory, and you can uh, tell me what you think. Uh, 9/11. You said it was an inside job. Did a plane hit the a Pentagon?
3: I doubt a plane hit the Pentagon.
1: Okay. I've been on that tip for like 15 to 20 years, and now I'm starting to hear some people in the space like, no, of course a plane hit it. I'm like, well, I don't know, guys. So I just wanted to get you on the record for that.
3: I would say, you know, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I would say no.
1: Okay. Um, Big Mike. Where do you find the Big Mike controversy? Michelle Obama.
3: No, um, not, you know, she's definitely a female.
1: That's what I said. But I said that it was perhaps a smokescreen for
3: Barry's uh, discretion. Being gay? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think he might have fathered the child of Miriam Carey, another hat tip to American everyman.
1: Oh, man. Uh, I want to hear more about that. And I'm about to go into whose dad is who Chelsea Clinton and Webster Hubble. Have you heard that? Dude,
3: that one is hard to, like, that really looks for real. But I'm going with Bill.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Justin nope. Trudeau, Fidel Castro.
3: <laughs> no. He nope, that's like not him.
1: a true thing. All right. I got to scratch All these okay. off my list. George Bush, grandson of uh, Alistair Crowley. Barbara Bush mm. is looking a lot like that
3: guy. Yeah. Okay. So Barbara's is I'm reading a book on Aleister Crowley and I'm interviewing William Ramsey on Wednesday, uh, who wrote the book. I definitely don't think that's true, but I'm trying to do the dates, but I don't think that's true.
1: Okay, and last one, Flat Earth. Any truth to that?
3: Absolutely not. I totally don't think so. Okay. And I, I've like, I have like five reasons where I'm absolutely confident that I've witnessed evidence of the ball earth.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is where I've been at the whole time. And then I started uh, hanging out with Dan Smots, my buddy uh, who does a great podcast. And he's really intelligent and he's a photographer and a videographer. So he has a lot of knowledge with perspectives and things. And I don't know if he fully buys it, but he was the first one that was like, he made me, just take a second look because he's not I want an, an to. Yeah, person. I had
3: Dave Weiss on my show. I want to believe, but I just couldn't. However, I do not think anyone landed on the moon.
1: I'm with you on that one, and he is too.
3: How about dinosaurs?
1: Oh, I didn't put that on the list, but I was going to ask you. So I know that there, that's not where we get our fossil fuel from, but tell me the dinosaur conspiracy.
3: Uh, Fake?
1: All of them? Like there's, there was never any? Bones? All the whole thing? Oh my God. Please come back and tell me about dinosaurs. We do that? That would be amazing. Um, I won't keep you anymore. I'd kept you over time as it is. But um, Monica, please tell everybody where they should uh, they should go find your <laughs> show and donate five bucks a month to get all the extra material and everything.
3: I do. I So I have a show, Deep Dives with Monica Perez, on iTunes and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. It, I do like serious deep dives, what we're talking about. Any of the subjects that I've hit today, I probably did an entire episode on that. And I also do great... Um, interviews, dive master interviews. I had to buddy dives, so if you want to give me your file, I'll put it in the feed. And, Thank you. um, and then the premium thing is there, all the commercials come out of that and I put bonus episodes that are a little more personal or, you know, something I said that was embarrassing on somebody else's show. I'll put it in there and then you get that little bonus. So that's that. I, you can also go to my website, which is a little bit under construction, Monica's deep dives.com. And I am on rockfin.com slash propaganda report where Binkley and I just continue to share that feed And people can find us there and everybody else and maybe you too, Dave, soon enough. Thank you so much.
1: I hope so too. Monica, I am so grateful for you being here and um, for everything that you do. And um, man, I have started listening to you when you were on Pete's show in 2020 and later on that week on Dave Smith's show. And I have not taken you out of my top three rotation the entire time.
3: I will. Oh, that's so sweet. I so appreciate that. And I'm I, I'm so glad I could do some good during COVID. And I will give you four more minutes if you want to do the anybody asked questions for me. Yeah. But oh, really? Not, I will take those
1: four minutes. Yeah, only on.
3: because we did tell people.
1: That's absolutely. You're right. I, and I don't want to make a liar out of myself and you. So let's go uh, Yeah, to the bottom here. Danielle, Monica, quick opinion on Ukraine, Putin.
3: So we definitely invaded Ukraine. We completely took out the democratically elected government. There was no justification for that. We um, anticipated, there's hidden audio, anticipating that Putin would react. It took him eight years to react. I think that he actually prevented World War III by taking action in Kiev because uh, he is in Crimea. He claims Crimea that is russian and i agree it was an almost unanimous um referendum so if people have the right self-governance crimea is russian however nato and ukraine say that crimea is a part of ukraine so the second ukraine joins nato we have de facto invasion of nato by russia that's world war iii and 30 countries have to go start bombing russia i i think that's great He's definitely bringing, like, you know, digital currency in. Mm -hmm. He is no hero. He's not going to save the world. Um, I think that they are just dividing the world into three. They provoke him, but ultimately I don't – I think he knows their methods are effective, so I don't think he's a huge hero.
1: Wow, that's really – if they can – if he's a player in this, that's just, like, the biggest – I know. then what? If that's how the whole global narrative is going, and he's I just know. playing along. I
3: did a I did a series with Ian Davis who wrote a series for Off Guardian on the multipolar world order, and he makes a pretty convincing argument that they're at that level of the chessboard. Those guys are playing the same game, but sure. I do think that that Putin has got he's got his hands full with those with that with the trouble they're giving him in Ukraine for sure. But they should just not overthrow democratically elected governments who are actually as corrupt as that guy was yanukovych was making the best deal for his country
1: right man ukraine is the new afghanistan
3: (laughs) oh no he said it was he is talking about the vax um oh okay (laughs) <laughs> I think <the> bio <laughs> the lab, lab. I think covid was created in a lab did not leak it was deliberately distributed not that many people got sick until they started giving the jab which I feel is 100% contagious I believe that that was the mechanism by which they spread it around the population intentionally and I think that it was one of its purposes was to uh create 7 billion customers for yes. You know, not just big pharma to get the jab, but to like prolonged illnesses. That's why they didn't really want it to kill people. They yeah. wanted it to make people sick forever.
1: Oh, and lay down the infrastructure for the next 10 years, 2030 oh, plan.
3: Dave, sure. what's that? You might have to do something because this could get you a strike on YouTube.
1: Oh. Wow, yeah, I've already gone against the World Health Organization standards once. That's all right. It's bound can to happen. We cut
3: the last 10 minutes off. It was nothing else. You could just <laughs> say, if you want to hear this, like, go to you, iTunes.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll trim that bad boy up you, a little sh- bit. You
3: might should, because I mean, I've like furiously erased every single video I've ever had on YouTube just to keep that from, yeah. anyway. All right, Appreciate now you I really so much. am over. Have a Thank great you so evening. Thank you Thank you, Monica. Talk you again soon.
1: Have a great night. Guys, until next time. Uh, be easy and, uh, you know, don't let the man keep you down. All right? Peace. Now that the smoke's gone And the air is all clear Those who are right there Got a new kind of fear.